We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today, it's another week, uh, another Disney Plus MCU series to talk about. Uh, arguably the best or most interesting one. Those might be fighting words, I don't know. But this week, we are talking about Loki, now streaming all episodes on Disney+. Plus. I am uh, burdened with glorious purpose. Glorious purpose. Jesse, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about the glorious purpose of this show? Sure. You may be asking, I saw Loki die. I saw him die in Infinity War. But as we know, well, he also died in, in Thor The Dark World. Loki's never really die, I guess. But this Loki is actually the Loki that we see in Avengers Endgame when the Avengers go back in time to the year 2012 to find the Tesseract. Hulk is pissed because he has to take the stairs and he Hulk hate the stairs. He, he knocks Great. the suitcase of the Tesseract out of the hands of the Tony Stark uh, from 2023 that went back to 2012. Loki gets it and he disappears. And that's where the series begins. Uh, and it introduces us to the TVA, the Time Variance Authority. The Time Variance Authority is created uh, to really prune branch timelines and to make sure that we don't have a multiverse but instead, we have this one sacred timeline. The time, the time works differently in the TVA, we are told. We're not really sure where the TVA is. I have my guesses. I believe it's the quantum realm, and it's that city that we saw in the quantum realm, the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. But uh, we're introduced to this idea that time works differently. And rather than that Loki being pruned, Agent Mobius- oh, You just blew by my mind there, by the way, because now I'm remembering that-, uh, that um, Scott Lang said that time works differently in the quantum realm uh, in uh, in Avengers Infinity or Avengers Endgame. And they use the quantum realm to that. travel back in time in Avengers Endgame. Right. How yeah. do you think that they're traveling as TVA agents? They're in the quantum realm. Wild. Yep. Um, but uh, Owen Wilson plays Agent Mobius and rather than pruning Loki, uh, he recruits him to be an assistant as a variant to help them track down the other variant that is attacking them. We learn that this other variant is another variant of Loki, a Lady Loki. What they actually are doing is they're combining two characters from the comics, Enchantress and Lady Loki. Combining the two, we learn about her backstory. She was pruned as a young child and she doesn't know why. And she's just trying to destroy the TBA. This is her one main focus and one main purpose her glorious purpose because they took her away from her family. But we really see uh, a great ending, the end of episode four, where Mobius gets pruned 
And then Loki gets pruned. There's a great mid credit scene. The end of episode four where Loki meets the other Lokis. We have classic Loki, kid Loki, boastful uh, Loki, which we see them all uh, in the comics. And then episode five turns out they're in the void. And the void is where- Don't forget about alligator Loki. Oh, sorry. Alligator Loki. Uh, And this is where uh, everybody who gets pruned ends up in. Uh, they all end up being eaten by Eliath, this smoke monster. Shout out to Lost. Uh, but uh, only the Lokis are the ones who survive because Lokis know how to survive. And we see uh, Tom Hiddleston also playing President Loki, which is a shout out to uh, a comic run as well, the Vote Loki comic run. And in the end, Sylvie says, I believe that that Eliath is just a guard dog, a watchdog to see who is controlling this, to protect who's controlling this. She enchants this smoke monster with the help of Loki and with the help of classic Loki, Richard E. Grant's spot on in the comic book uh, costume. And they go to the Citadel where Miss Minutes appears and scares the crap out of me. Uh, She's this cartoon uh, who really is a uh, propaganda machine of the TVA. And then we're introduced to Jonathan Majors. He Who Remains, um, who is playing a variant of Kang the Conqueror in the comics. Uh, This is likely the Immortus from the comics, who at the end of time is tired of conquering different universes and just settles to uh, control the TVA and to control all of time. But he explains that there was a multiversal war and the only way to control this multiversal war, which will lead to the end of time, is that he has to make sure that things stay on a very specific course, which he calls the sacred timeline, uh, meaning people don't have free will, that if they go off this timeline, they are pruned. He forces them essentially to act in a very specific way. Loki and Sylvie argue about whether or not they should kill him or not. Sylvie is set on killing him. She kills him and he says, be back soon. I'll see you again soon. Uh, meaning that a variant of him will be reappearing. And she sends Loki back to the TVA, except he realizes he's in a very different TVA, uh, a different timeline. And we see a statue, not of the three lizard timekeepers, but a statue of King the Conqueror himself, Jonathan Majors, and roll credits and scene. Mike. What did you think of Loki? And out of our three Disney Plus MCU shows so far, where does it rank for you? Yeah. Okay. So first, let me say this. Uh, Spoiler alert, everybody. (laughs) We didn't say it at the jump. I guess you probably know by now if you've been listening to us that uh, that we're just going to throw in all the spoilers. Uh, So uh, maybe we'll put it in the description. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Loki. First of all, you know, uh, Tom Hiddleston has, has always been a bright spot in the uh, entire MCU. You know, he's, he's the kind of uh, actor and, and uh, portraying the kind of character that just, you know, your eyes just dart to him on the screen. He's like, uh, he's, he's, he's like Jeff Goldblum in that way. You know, the, you're, you're always focused on Jeff Goldblum whenever he appears, also an MCU character now too. Uh, but, uh, but, Love Tom Hiddleston. He's and this is really you know a great showcase piece for him after um, uh, over ten years of portraying Loki in, in the MCU. Right, um, he was like the original villain, right? He was right. in Thor, and then he appears as the main villain in the first Avengers movie. Right, right. Um, and now even after he did a bit of Chuva and Thor Ragnarok and an Infinity War, uh, he's back. 
Right. That's right. Although in this movie, like where he gets plucked out of the timeline into the TVA, he hasn't had that character arc yet in Thor Ragnarok. Um, so he's still, uh, this is just after he's defeated by the Avengers in, uh, in the first Avengers movie. So, so he really, you know, he, um, he has not, uh, he's not really had a redemption story yet uh, in this timeline but anyway so i thought he he has a great showcase here i think he puts in a great performance um i i think that you know um like wandavision uh uh loki really raises uh some you know interesting character plays interesting themes it plays with the superhero uh conventions um in new ways it takes the mcu in in different directions in new directions which i really appreciate it, especially, you know, and we maybe will one episode we'll talk about Black Widow. Having now just seen Black Widow, um, I can say how much I was appreciating Loki for for doing really different stuff um, with, uh, with, with the genre. And with, it's like the complete opposite of an or- earthly story, but it also says that the Infinity Stones, which were essential to the MCU for 10 years, are meaningless in the world of Loki. Right, that's right. Um, so uh, I think that the that the you know episodes were of uneven quality. I would say um, I think that there uh, you know uh, and I think that there were ways in which the storytelling was less than ideal. Um, uh, for example, uh, uh, Sylvie, Lady Loki, uh, Enchantress, whatever you want to call her. Um, uh, I think I think that uh, Sophie Di Martino is the actress's name that played yeah. Drager. Yeah. Um, Great actress, did a good performance. I just think that they didn't serve her character well. She was pre- she was presented at the jump like this, you know, you know, cold, calculating mastermind. Um, and at the end, she just kind of turns into this, um, uh, you know, uh, petulant and um, impulsive kind of character, very unloki uh, in in that regard. So, um, so I I didn't love that. Uh, but, um, but I, I, you know, I, and we'll talk about this, you know, I, I love the themes that this, uh, that this uh, show uh, explores and raises about, you know, the nature of time, the nature of uh, free will, uh, or, or determinism, uh, and, and how complicated those things are as, as people who, you know, spend a lot of time uh, thinking about um, uh, God and the meaning of life. Um, uh, those are really central questions. And I think that the show um, does, a, does you know, a better than uh, late night uh, stoned in the uh, dorm uh, common room uh, talking about these questions, a better job than that, uh, uh, but maybe not as good a job as Maimonides. So like somewhere in the middle of, uh, of, of dealing with those questions. I don't know, what do you think? Uh, oh, I, I didn't answer your question about where it ranks in the MCU. Um, I, I think that... Um, I think that I have come to uh, to uh, rank Falcon Winter Soldier pretty low on the rankings. Uh, there were moments where I was really loving it. Um, I really loved WandaVision until the last episode or two that I think they did not stick the landing particularly well. They just gave it a sort of like, you know, Marvel CGI barf uh, aerial battle uh, ending. And it was just not as interesting as the rest of the show. This one, I think there were moments in which it was more or less interesting, but they landed it really well. And uh, and I think that the ending was not a conventional Marvel ending and I appreciated it. Yeah, I think the landing puts it uh, on top for me, mostly because it is the first to really um, do some serious world expanding that this is really 
the catalyst tied into WandaVision, but really for the multiverse saga. We're going to see this with Spider-Man 3, No Way Home. We're going to see this with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're going to see this with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that this idea of time and variance and multiverse uh, plays out in the different uh, Marvel movies we're going to see for the next few years. Um, I loved it. I thought uh, Tom Hiddleston was brilliant. Uh, there wasn't as much action as I would have liked. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, well, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision uh, both uh, had to pause filming because of uh, COVID and then restarted filming mid COVID almost all of Loki took place during COVID. And mm -hmm. so if you look at a lot of the films, uh, a lot of the scenes, a lot of the scenes were very limited to two or three characters. And my understanding is that was very intentional from a filming perspective that they tried to limit the number of people on set at any given time, which may lead to, uh, long dialogue, um, soliloquies, you know, these exposition and that sort of thing. Um, I loved it. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and, and it's a really interesting conversation really about uh, what is time? Is time linear or is time in a, in a loop? Which um, scientists debate, it's really a conversation about free will versus fates. And it's really a conversation about Chuva going back to this character of, of Loki, the 2012 Loki, who had just tried to invade New York um, with, with, with the Chitari. Is Chuva truly possible? Can somebody truly change? Uh, so, Mike, what do you take from this show about what it's telling us about free will? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. Let me just uh, back up and say, I, I didn't know uh, that about the production of, of Loki uh, uh, being done mostly during COVID. Um, and it made me, just hearing that made me um, appreciate uh, the action that it had more, which I, I also was a little underwhelmed by. And especially, you know, the, the, um, the I think it was the next to last episode or the, or maybe episode four, where they actually, you know, go to the throne room of the timekeepers who turn out to not be real. Um, but there's this throne room scene battle. And I kept to think to myself, I was like, oh, I've seen this before, just better in Star and the, Wars. The and Last The Last Jedi, Jedi right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple other places in the in the show where I was like, oh, I've seen this kind of action before, but not done, but done much better than, than what they're trying to accomplish here. Um, so that, I mean, I appreciate that. Um, so, I mean, listen, the show uh, made me think of uh, this Mishnah that, uh, that, that uh, uh, I know that you've seen, Jesse, and I'm sure some of our listeners have encountered before in Pirkei Avot. Everything is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is granted, and the world is judged with goodness, and everything is in accordance with the preponderance of works. So, you know, that's a paradox. At least the first part of that is a paradox, right? If everything is foreseen, then how can freedom of choice be given, right? And that's, I think, the, you know, one of the central questions at the, at the heart of, uh, of Loki. I mean, there, there is, of course, the question of like whether the TVA is just making everything up, right? Because, of the, you know, that was, I think, one of the big head fakes of the show is that it, you know, it sets up like you're watching Wizard of Oz, they're going to pull back. There's going to be a man behind the curtain and everything in the TVA is going to be fake. And it's just all an illusion. And it turns out that it's actually all real, 
Um, but and we're not watching Wizard of Oz. We're watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Right. And uh, and Jonathan, right. Nathan, it's all controlled by this crazy man who has been by himself for far too right. long. And who and who, you know, was uh, uh, and, and you know, uh, Loki and, and Sylvie were, were basically, you know, Charlie and grandpa um, seeing if they would make it through to the end and not be tempted by Slugworth. Right. Uh, so um, so I thought that, that was that was uh, really interesting. So so then, you know, that that question that really kind of uh, keeps on coming up in um in in loki uh is is really meaningful one which is you know it essentially says that you know uh a decade plus of the mcu um was was in some sense like really meaningless action because it was all predetermined on the timeline everything was supposed to work out the way that it did including all of the time bending stuff don't tell that to tony stark but Iron right, Man I know. died. But bummer. Listen, everybody, everybody dies at some point, right? So, um, so at some point on that timeline, Tony Stark was going to die. Um, uh, but yeah, but you know, all these characters are are making are, are think that they're making choices to either you know villains to conquer the world, the heroes to save the world, but really they're not making choices at all. They're they're just playing out roles that are already predetermined for them on the timeline. And if that's true, right, if everything is foreseen, then how can there actually be freedom of choice? Yeah, you know, it's that's the ultimate question, right? If I feel like I have free will, do I actually have free will, um, right? If I see in front of me an apple and an orange and I choose the orange for my snack, did I actually have the choice? Did I actually, is that my free will that allowed me to choose the orange? Or do, does uh, God as creator, God as timekeeper, right, in this sense, uh, put those choices in front of me so that I feel like I have a choice, but in reality, God is controlling everything. Uh, in some ways, I found a lot of similarities to this and the matrix, Right. right That's right. the matrix. Uh, if we go back, uh, this computer program that machines and computers created to uh, put humans in as almost like a trap, there were too many glitches. And so they realized that was missing was the idea of choice. And even at the end of the second matrix, the matrix reloaded, Neo gets to the architect and found out that at the end of all of this, was this architect, which basically says, well, it's time to reboot, right? That, that this is just a game that we're in sort of this time loop, which essentially is what happened with Loki and Sylvie and uh, Jonathan Major's character, He Who Remains, that he said that this is your only option. I knew you were going to get here. I knew you were going to come here and I'll see you again. Uh, you know, when Ben Bagbag says, right, that's with Torah, we turn it and turn it for everything that's in it. It sort of speaks to the same question. Why do we read Torah time and time again, the same stories each and every year as part of uh, our, our um, annual lectionary cycle, right? Why do we end it on Simchat Torah and immediately begin it again? It's the same thing over and over and over again, but each time we read it, we get something else out of it. That is what Loki is suggesting is time and the timeline, that if we're stuck in a time loop, the same thing happens again and again and again. It's just, it's a little bit different each time and we find different meaning in it every single time. What time looks like is actually quite troubling as Jews if we don't see time as linear because everything revolves in with regards to time. And yet with Jewish ritual and Jewish practice, it's not linear at all. It's a cycle. 
It's the calendar cycle. It's the weekly cycle. It's the daily cycle. It's not linear. Well, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's both, I suppose, but I think that, um, you know, to, to look at, you know, the, the, uh, the arc of the Tanakh, right. Which is, um, arguably one of the, uh, world's first, uh, histories, um, in the sense of, you know, uh, constructing a narrative about the, about the past that, um, was sort of demythologized, right? In other words, it wasn't it wasn't a story about the gods. It was a story about uh, human affairs. Maybe gods involvement in human affairs, but human affairs. And and the the narrative that it tells is 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 a linear history, right? Like time is moving in a direction. Um, it, you know, it, it's un, it, There are places in the Torah or in the Tanakh where it it uh, gives off the impression that you know, God is the architect of history. Although sometimes it doesn't seem like that at all. It doesn't seem like God is the architect of history. It seems that God sometimes intervenes in history, um, but is not necessarily in control of, uh, of, of the outcome. And much of the Torah doesn't really make sense if we don't actually have free will, right? For commandments, for example, right? What's the point of giving us commandments if we don't actually have free will? Um, you know, what's the point of doing a commandment if I don't actually have free will, because arguably it's not a choice that I have not to do it, right? If I choose not to do it, that means God has already chosen for me that I'm not going to fulfill that commandment. So, you know, uh, you know, much of the scheme seems to fall apart if you don't have real free will, which means that you need to not have uh, a God or a system, uh, in which, you know, the outcomes are predetermined. It seems to me that that's the overall kind of thrust of the Tanakh. And I would argue of, um, of, of, you know, Jewish theology, um, in, in general, I think that there are, uh, there are, uh, thinkers throughout Jewish history who have argued for more or less uh, determinism uh, or more or less control of God of the, uh, you know, outcomes of history. Um, but I, I tend to incline toward those, you know, who argue that, uh, that you know, so much is um, uh, rendered utterly illogical if, uh, if, if that's the case. And, and, and therefore, I think, you know, the, the one book of the Tanakh that defies that is Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, which which you know essentially says no time time is a flat circle time is a circle you know um, all the rivers flow to the and sea and the dies. sea is never filled right um, exactly there's there's a season for everything everything's gonna like find its time um, and you know and and things don't move in a direction there's really nothing that you can do um, now there's an but know, by the way Ecclesiastes is also um, right writes. Hevel Hevel I mean, it's, it's very much about like, what's the point? If time is a flat right. circle, uh, what's the point in finding purpose and blessings in what we do if everything's going to happen and play out in this way, no matter what? Right. That's, that's right. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the challenges in, inherent in, in Ecclesiastes, which is why um, a, a later editor had to go back and add a line at the end, right? Softavar kol nishma, right? Everything, you know, uh, uh, just... Don't worry about what you just read. Just fear God and observe the Torah. And that's all you're supposed to do, except for that's not at all the message of the rest of the book, right? Um, so yeah, I think the message of, uh, one of the messages of Ecclesiastes is like eat, drink and be merry because it doesn't really matter, right? None of it really, might as well enjoy the life that you have. Um, maybe not too much, 
you know, to excess, but, but enjoy the life that you have. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, uh, who in Loki um, expresses that point of view, because there's, you know, the, you, you, you essentially have two sides, right? You have, you have, uh, you have one side that says, like, we, we've got to hold on to the timeline at all costs, uh, and, and therefore all of the absence of free will that, that comes with it. Um, and then you have the other side saying, like, free will is what matters, blow up the timeline, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, who cares about the consequences? Um, you know, we should be free to determine for ourselves whatever the consequences might be and to fight those battles on, on our own. I mean, that's essentially the conflict at the end between Loki and Sylvie too, uh, right? Loki says, like, you know, if we, if we don't just take over for he who remains, um, it, there's going to be chaos. And Sylvie says, essentially, right, like, like chaos is the price that I'm willing to pay for free will. Well, that, that's really a question of, is the devil we know better than the devil we don't, right? That um, there's a fear of what happens if we do change our ways, uh, which, which is from a, from, from a um, sort of self-empowering struggle. It's a question of the reason why so many know where they need to change and what they want to change about them lives when we do a cheshbon hanefesh and yet are unable to change because we fear of what the alternative is, right? We are unhappy with X, Y, or Z. We're unhappy uh, with our personal lives. We're unhappy with our professional lives. We're unhappy with our um, health and the way we treat our bodies. Uh, but we are fearful of the alternative, he who remains actually, and this is where Jonathan majors does a great job. He's brilliant at not being scary, right? He, he, he's going to be the next Thanos, but he's not this uh, giant purple alien. He talks the whole time and will some, there are mixed reviews. Some love that some didn't. Um, I happen to be one who loved it. Uh, he is scary. The fear is in what the alternative is. The fear is in the unknown. Uh, and that's really what Loki is sitting with and why he disagrees with Sylvie because he actually thinks that giving or taking away people's free will is better than giving them free will in a scarier alternative and a scarier reality. And she's saying free will is the most important thing. No matter what, let people just decide if they're going to destroy the world, which is what's going to end up happening with this multiversal war. If they're going to destroy the world, let them destroy the world as long as they choose to do it and somebody's not forcing it upon them. Yeah, so, you know, I, uh, as you were saying that, uh, it, it it felt to me like in some ways it undercut any kind of uh, character redemption arc for Loki in this because uh, it just reminded me of what Loki says when he comes to Earth in Avengers, right? He, he you know, gathers from the crowd and he says, you know, kneel before me, right? Is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Right. And, and, and that's essentially what Loki is saying here at the end too, uh, which is uh, that, um, that the, the, the 
the possibility, um, the, the insecurity of freedom is, is too much to bear, right? There's, it's too terrifying. And so we should just submit to the larger order of things. I mean, arguably, I guess that's, you know, Loki's whole MO from, from the beginning, right? His whole thing about being burdened with glorious purpose, right? He, he has this mindset that, um, that, 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 that essentially says, um, you know, I actually don't have a choice in what I do. Um, I, this was, this was predestined for me, um, that I was going to like live out this way and, and, and live this life. Um, and I, and I suspect that there are, you know, I think the more inclined a person is to believe, um, that their pattern of behavior is unchangeable, um, or that the alternatives are uh, to changing it are too uh, unknown and therefore scary, the less likely they will be to uh, to, to change. I mean, I think that that's, you know, um, one of the revolutionary things about the High Holy Day season um, is this I is this idea that like you could change your life, you could change your life's trajectory tomorrow if you wanted to, right? Um, like there there is there is nothing standing in your way from having a clean slate and walking in a totally different direction tomorrow the only thing that's standing in the way is your is is your action and your ability to believe that in that possibility um i don't know does any of that resonate with you yeah and yet right after naila right right after the gates of heaven close and we're given that clean slate we immediately uh, Dav and Mariv and beat our chests and say, The first thing we do after that clean slate is admit that we have sinned and transgress. Um, it, it's that we are acknowledging our inability to fully embrace change in a way that we want to, uh, in a way that uh, we hope to. You know, I think about when this, uh, to go back for a second. Well, hold on one second. I want to I push back on that. Because uh, I don't, I mean, what what we're saying on the high holidays is is that we can is that we can change, but not necessarily that we'll be perfect, right? So, um, you know, so the the sin that we might be confessing in that Mari right after Nila uh, may be a totally different one than what we were repenting for on Yom Kippur, right? Um, you know, just uh, like one comes to mind is like maybe we're asking for forgiveness for not going right to eating a bagel first before we jump into davening. Like maybe that's actually not what God wants. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think like I, I, would, I would quibble with that because I think that there's a difference between, um, between change and perfection. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so maybe it's not that we haven't changed, but it's acknowledging that uh, we are imperfect. Um, we do strive to change and we give ourselves the ability to change each and every day, not limited just to the high holidays, right? We wake up in the morning and say, Elohim nishamash natata bitohorahi, that God has restored me with a pure soul each and every morning. I think back to this idea of time and foreseeing what the, the future looks like. Uh, this episode is going to drop. And when this episode drops, we will have just observed Tisha B'Av. And the Shabbat right before Tisha B'Av, the Shabbat Chazom, the Sabbath of vision, where the Haftorah foresees what will happen if we do not change our ways. It foresees that there will be you know, destruction and pain if we do not change our ways. And yet we ritualize the fact that we are warned of what will happen if we do not change our ways. And then we mourn 
that same pain and suffering and destruction because we have not changed our ways. We are ritualizing for seeing the future, but in some ways being unable to do anything about it. We are forcing ourselves to say, we know what's going to happen if we do not change and then sit with that for we have not changed. In some ways, that's what Jonathan Major's character is doing, right? As he who remains, he is saying, this is the reality there's, this is what's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it, even if this is not what you want to happen. Yeah. You know, so in, 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 uh, in watching that final, you know, set of scenes with, with, uh, with Jonathan Majors, he remains and, and Loki and Sylvie uh, and explaining kind of like, you know, how the TVA got created and how the sacred timeline got established. You know, I, I couldn't help but thinking about the, um, the the Canaanite and, and Babylonian mythologies that um, are arguably the, the the source material of, uh, of of some of the Bible or the the stories on which the uh, Bible is commenting, right? So um, you know, think of like um, uh, um, you know, uh, the the uh, the goddess, you know, Tiamat. Uh, being being slaughtered and her carcass being spread out, right? The, anyway, the, the, like a lot of these ancient mythologies, you know, talk about the origins of the world as 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 the functions of a cosmic war uh, between uh, between gods or uh, between titans or or whatever it is, and and um, and and therefore, right? Um, you know, the the uh, the point of them or the message of them is that you know, your life is totally subject to the wills and whims of, you know, impulsive, impetuous, um, petulant gods, right, who have their own agendas, right? And, you know, you could pick a side, you could like worship this god versus that god, and maybe that will help you. Um, If that god happens to be, happens to win, uh, maybe it won't if that god happens to lose, right? But ultimately, you know, like your children building sandcastles on the seashore and a wave is inevitably going to come and wash it down, right? And the Bible presents a totally different worldview than that. The Torah, I mean, presents a totally different worldview than that, right? Um, that uh, that there aren't many gods. There's one God. There's not a cosmic war um, over which, you know, God is triumphant. Although that imagery uh, gets, uh, sneaks in in places in, in Tanakh, right? It's in, in Psalms. We recite, um, you know, some of the Psalms on Friday nights that, that, uh, that, that have that imagery, although it's somewhat demythologized in the imagery that we it's, have. you know, that, that scene in, uh, in Avengers where Hulk starts smashing Loki all over the place. And then right. says, right. Puny God. Like right. that's sort of what the Psalms are saying towards every other faith's idea of God. Right, exactly. Right, God does uh, uh, Yudhe does that to Baal or whatever, right? Um, or Yam or or or, or Tohu Vohu. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, I think that that's you know um, that's I think the the argument that uh, Jewish tradition would take to the uh, you know universe view presented by Loki, which is that. Um, like, yes, that, that is a story that you can choose to believe in. And if you believe in that story, um, then you are either um, subject to the wills and whims of uh, forces to utterly beyond your control and therefore have 
um, have no real agency of your own, right? Um, or you can uh, you can serve uh, a uh, you can you can uh, serve um, the only power in the universe. Align yourself with that with that power, um, and 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 it's with it's your choice to either align yourself with that power or to reject it, right? Um, and you know, and so I think that like you know taking uh, the MCU as a, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, new mythology, uh, you know, I, 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 maybe I'm just taking it too seriously. I don't know, but, um, but, but it strikes me as just a kind of, you know, recapitulation of that, you know, uh, prehistoric, uh, worldview. Yeah. But I think that's, that's true for so many cultures and ethnicities and faiths and mythologies that it's just a recapitulation of what was once believed and reinterpreted to meet our own beliefs and needs. And so this is that same worldview, but in the context of, uh, you know, an Asgardian god of mischief and um, a 31st century uh, scientist who discovered how to meet variants of himself from other timelines uh, and uh, that sort of thing. Uh Question for you, Jesse. If you could meet variants of yourself from other timelines, would you want to? What's also crazy, by the way, is that this is not back to the future time travel where like you have to avoid meeting a past version of yourself at all costs because of the butterfly effect, the ripple effect, right? This is not a past version of yourself. This is a completely different version of yourself in a different reality. That's what's crazy. The idea that time uh, and, and different realities are actually stacked on top of each other. Um, yeah, I probably want to meet a version of myself that um, is more sure of himself. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I actually, I would, I would not want that. Like I would want all the other versions of myself to be worse versions than, than me. I, I sort of like Lo Loki's like hunting down the variant Loki's in uh, in the show and his his hope or his assumption is that all the other Lokis are inferior versions to his Loki. Sure, but Loki learns more about himself by finally encountering Sylvie and right there, there's this weird uh, intimacy that goes on that uh, you're not sure like, is that incest? Yeah, what are, what are the ethics of hooking up with your variant? Um, but it's actually like the perfect thing that a narcissist would do is that they fall in love with themselves. Uh, but it's ultimately they had to see themselves uh, to teach them things about themselves. Uh, so what are the lessons that we can take from this, Mike? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. Um, uh, I, you know, I think that, um, I think that one of the things that the show is trying to communicate is that, you know, even the most, uh, even the worst of us, uh, even the most um, stubborn of us, um, even those of us who, you know, are married to uh, a, a sense of self, uh, a narrative about self that moves in one direction, um, that, that, that even those of us who are like that are capable of change. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, therefore also that, that kind of means that, um, that, that, you know, one way or another free will does exist. 
Um, and that, uh, and that certainly those of us who, who aren't Loki, um, are, are all the more so capable of, uh, of, of making a change in our life of having redemption. Um, I don't know what, what, what lesson are you taking from it? Yeah, I, I, I would say the same about free will that we ultimately control our, our destiny. Um, even when the show suggests otherwise, um, that we have the power to control our actions, uh, and we have the power to change. Um, I, I'm grappling with whether or not I like this variant Loki better than the uh, MCU sacred timeline Loki, the one who we saw change. Uh, it's funny. He changed in the fact that he tried to kill Thanos, but Thanos only came after the Asgardian ship because he had to take the Tesseract from Odin's you know, basement of treasures at, at the end. He was in with uh, the Grand Master on Sakaar and was very happy to see Thor enslaved, right? He wanted to be celebrated, which is why he pretended to die. So he can just cast his father off somewhere and pretend to be Odin so he could rule. Uh, I would suggest that this Loki, this variant Loki actually went through a lot more chuva and did some real soul searching than the sacred timelines Loki did. Uh, and that's the, the, the lesson, right? The lesson is that you can change. And when you're forced to see yourself, when you're forced to really sit with your actions, which he was forced to do in the time theater at the very beginning of the show, that's when we really see the ripple effect and consequences of our actions that sometimes through the narrow lens of our own narcissistic selves, it's difficult for us to see. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's a really great point, and and that imagery, um, which which you just reminded me of of, of him uh, watching uh, his life basically play out in front of him uh, in at the TVA, and then there's another moment where he uh, instead of putting beginning put in like a jail cell, he gets put in a time loop uh, where he's confronted by someone who he'd wronged, right? Um, Lady Sif, the, uh, Lady Sif, uh, right? Right from from the first two Thor movies, right? Uh, that 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 idea of you know uh, having to you know confront really confront and see uh, your your strengths and your weaknesses your your failings um, having to encounter them again and again and again um, is is really powerful and one that you know many of us you know we, we do live with our failures we do live with our mistakes um, we're, we're mindful of them but we don't always see the the we don't always see, we don't always feel the consequences of them or how they impact other people too. And uh, I, there's um, a tradition that I heard, it must be a Midrash somewhere, uh, that um, uh, that when you die, uh, you're, uh, you're shown uh, um, the events of your life as they could have been um, and the events of their life as they actually were. Uh, and uh, to the extent that those two uh, those two demonstrations line up, um, you're in heaven. And to the extent that they don't, you're in Gehenna, you're in hell. Uh, and, and so, you know, um, that idea, you know, I think is really relevant for and resonant for the high holiday season of saying, you know, uh, really take a look at where you've been, take a look at what you've done, take a look at your life. If you could watch it on a film strip, if you could see the data put in front of you, um, would that change you somehow? 
Um, would you see where where you've gone wrong in a different way and what you need to do to make things right. better? That, that's that's what Elul is supposed to be, right? When we do a cheshbon hanefesh, an accounting of our soul, that is exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to dig deep and think back about what we did since we were sitting in that same spot this time last year and ask ourselves, are we better versions of ourselves this year than we were last year? Did we change in certain ways? Maimonides says that tshuva is when you're forced into the same situation a second time and choose a different outcome. Um, and that's ultimately uh, what we do leading up to the high holidays. I sort of wonder when, when he who remains presents Loki and Sylvie with this situation, he, they, they, pass the threshold. And all of a sudden he doesn't know what's going to happen after that because he had never gotten to that point is puts them in the same situation each and every time. And they do the same thing again and again, and again, and again, and again, again, like matrix reloaded. Uh, all right. Neo goes to the architect and same thing happens every single time. And then Neo says, no, I'm going to do things differently this time. And they're like, Oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, which by the way, matrix revolutions is a very underrated movie. Uh, the third, the third movie, because people didn't like the second one, so they thought the third one was not going to be good, but it's actually not bad. Um, and Matrix Four coming HBO Max and in theaters this year. Um, but the same thing happens if Jonathan Major's character, he who remains, expected that they were just going to do was always going to be done. He said, "Here are your two options," and they chose to do things differently. He did wasn't prepared for that. Well, I think that that uh, about wraps it up for at least season one of Loki. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think about it. So uh, let us know. Uh, and of course, we hope that you'll continue uh, joining with us uh, to uh, be involved in this conversation about Judaism and pop culture. Uh, rate us, review us on uh, iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Uh, smash that subscribe button so that you'll never miss an episode. Uh, anything in closing you want to say, Jesse? And Loki is the first of the MCU Disney Plus shows to have a second season. So stay tuned. Uh, until next time, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. For all time, always. Always. Always.